0: Some of you may know him, um, some may not, but um, he's a man who um, I've really grown to love and respect, and um, I remember quite out of the blue, the one elders meeting, we were up here and we were busy praying together, every Tuesday morning we prayed together here, and um, I'd heard of Terry being the, the pastor, um, like a pastoral gift, and people wait in line to get a hug from Terry, and I'd heard all these stories, and I didn't really know him, but in that moment, it was at the end of the prayer meeting, he, he, he said, I've got a word for three of you, and he gave me a word at that moment and it hit me like, like I don't often get words that really get into the core of who I am, but, um, but there was a pastor giving me a prophetic word that spoke into the very fiber of my being and it was my first year in ministry. And I felt like God aligned me, it was like a calibration that just said, this is the way, and I just thought, thank you, Lord. And why I'm saying that is, tonight, you may be expecting a pastor, but actually we want the fullness of of what you have for us tonight, Terry, and for us as a community, um, just to open up our hearts fully to what Terry has to say to us. He loves people deeply, I've grown to love your ministry, Terry, your Psalm 23 is still multiplying out through us as a community. Um, So I just really want to welcome you, and um, would you have the freedom of the house, and Amen. Is that okay? Amen. Can I pray for you? So, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for Terry. You said that when we receive a man, we receive the gift in its fullness. And we ask you for the, the, the fullness of the gift tonight, Lord, and that we would receive it. Would you give us ears to hear, um, a heart to receive, and would you come and change our worlds, Lord? Would you rock the boat as you did so often in the Gospels? We ask you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>
1: It's wonderful to see you all. Thanks for coming out on a Sunday night. Two meetings um, for those who have done that. Uh, That's very brave of you. Where's Chelsea, the bass player? There you are. Um, You know, I want to use something she does as a bass line for what we're going to talk about, but I also want to say something to you. So a bass player has to know how to play the bass line because that gives you anchors everything. If you get too fancy on the bass guitar, it can lead all over the place. But when you know how to play the bass line, doom, 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 then you can start fiddling around afterwards. But you've gotta know how to play the bass line. And some of us need to be reminded about going back to the bass line. We've, we've done doing this, doing this, but we're no longer making that good sound that draws people to Jesus, because we're fiddling. And I watched you tonight, and you played a bass line and it was solid and it held everything in place. And I feel that God wants to say to you, in terms of the, 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 the journey he has you on in following him, he's going to take you now down little tributaries and extend your range from the very basics. Just don't forget the basics. I'm not talking just about the bass guitar. I'm talking about your life of following Jesus. Don't just get satisfied with the, with the bass line. Start exploring the depths of what Jesus has for you. All right. It is wonderful to be here. It's always a privilege to speak to God's people. I never take that for granted, not even once. And that the elders have entrusted this microphone to me is a massive privilege. They have the freedom to stop me at any time and say, you're talking rubbish, stop, I'll stop, um, because that's an important thing, you know, this is a sacred, sacred gift that God gives us. And so what I want to do tonight, how many were here this morning? Okay, a good amount. We heard about Katsugi. Remember Katsugi? The bowl? I want to tell you a Katsugi story, if that's okay. It's my story. I'm going to share a little bit about my story and then weave into it the life of Jesus. Is that okay? All right. So I think often we look at people and we think, oh, they got it all together, um, et etc. Et but Mine is not such a good story. It's a totally dysfunctional story. And I will tell you in the end why I'm telling this story so you don't think I'm just trying to say how bad I was. Is that okay? So I was, I was born into rebellion. You know, my mom, who's still alive, so you can go check with her. I was with her today. Um, married my dad out of rebellion to my grandparents. And then my, ba- my dad was a very, very abusive man, emotionally and physically. And my mom wanted to leave him and then found out she was pregnant, so she stayed. I was born. He carried on being abusive to my mom and to me. Became an alcoholic. At 18 months, he took me driving one day, left me locked in the car while he got slammed in the pub. That was the final straw. My mom said, done. And, you know, she divorced him. Um, I'm an only child which has its own complications in a dysfunctional family. I'm not knocking being an only child. There's some wonderful things as well. Um, I was raised, my, my mom moved in with my grandparents. Raised by my grandparents, my, I love my grandmother. Tender woman, my grandfather was a tyrant, but I loved him. Fiery redhead, and I'm not against redheads. But, you know, cowboys don't cry. You want to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. Do you know that story? We're talking about the early 60s. Uh, when I was in first grade, my dad was killed in a motor car accident. I have one photograph of him. And I've always, in some ways, I feel like, man, God saved us all because he was not a good man. Yet, I give thanks because he gave me life. And so I have to figure that out. Um, So my first six years at school were at six different schools in three different cities. So the question is, how do you make friends? You're always the outside person, all right? You never establish good relationships. And the final school is to go to boarding school. Eight years of boarding school, but what happens in these type of times is that you learn to become self-sufficient. You don't share emotions. Everything is guarded. You solve your own problems, which sounds like a wonderful thing, except as you get older and you get married and have kids, and it's a massive problem. So here I am at boarding school, started at ten years old, and uh, at a school that goes right up to matric. And do you still use the word matric or 12th grade? Um, and there's a lot of bullying. Bad bullying. I remember one night, and I want to explain this because what it led to. You know, the, the 12th graders came down. I was in fourth, standard four, what's that? Sixth grade. Lying on my bed, and they came, and they just came in and started. You know, when people just slap me around the head, but they began to tickle me because they knew I was ticklish. And you laugh. <laughs> And then they continue. What happens next? You start crying. You know? And you stand before you. You don't want to be crying in front of other boys. And then you actually scream a little bit. And then you pee your pants. And then you are shamed beyond measure because it's gone for half an hour. And then they leave and they just laugh at you. What a baby. What a whatever. See, this is what happens in those moments. You think, oh, you can get over that. But I made unholy vows in that moment. I will never be ticklish again. You think, oh, that's good. Except when you have children and they want to play. And they want to tickle you. Now you have to pretend. Everything is pretend because you're not ticklish. It's an unholy vow. Another unholy vow. No one will ever do that to me again. I will kill somebody. I will get the first punch in. It doesn't matter what happens. It's going to happen. Unholy vow. Because whenever anybody came... Gods are up, I'm aggressive, come near, you're going down. And it actually happened later in life. I won't tell you that story. Um, so that's one. But I'm the victim of sexual abuse at a Catholic boarding school. Multiple times. So traumatic that we suppress those things. And later in life, Jesus in his mercy begins to reveal them so you can deal with them. I went to my 40th school reunion in... 2016, speaking to my best friends, and they said, oh, us too, me too, me too. Our own me too movement. Those are are rough moments in your life. At the same time, there were some wonderful things. But this idea of becoming a survivor, self-sufficient, unholy vows, unhealthy, insecure attachments, where I should have had healthy attachments to family. My mom was poor, single mom, worked. I had no emotional contact to her. I used to go hang with Cutty's cousins because I went to school with them. I used to go to their farms and their cottages. I had this, and even today, my mom lives up here. We've spoken about it. She's more like my aunt than my mom. There's no attachment. Motion, when you deny your emotions, which I did, and that was our era, you deny them. Not going to cry or no, anything. One emotion always emerges. Anyone guess what that is? Anger. So I became an angry person, angry at everything, angry at the world. It's all this product of a, of a life, and I don't blame my mom. Life was tough, but it shapes who you are. Um, you know, go to, go to the military. It's the same thing. You're not going to share your emotions in the army. That's ridiculous. So you hold it in. Hold it in. Hold it in. I got into knives and guns and big motorcycles. I've done 850 skydives. I rode my bike right off the clock many times without a helmet, without leathers, without anything. I just did life to the full. Drank myself into oblivion. Smoked too much of the stuff from the bluff. Whoever. just live life to, out there and one day it was a Sunday I was at home I was actually for a moment I was living with my parents or my, my mom and my stepdad down in Point area Addington Prince Street anyone know that? Oh, right down there and my best friend's dad me said, Hey, do you want to go to this church? I heard the music's good. So I thought, I, I like music. We used to play guitar together. I'll go. It's called the Invisible Church. It's the basis of, of this church, too. So I went in a warehouse, Prince Alfred Street, and I walked in. No, oh, it's cool. I was supposed to be at a, the, with a, anyone remember the Blarney Brothers? Anyone that old? Yeah, I used to go drink on Sunday night with the Blarney Brothers, sing Irish songs. My girlfriend had gone somewhere, so I was free. I went two guns on me, three knives, my big motorcycle outside, Yeah, I walked in. I pretended to be a breaker, but I really wasn't. And there the music was, well, it was great. And then the pastor, Carl got up and spoke from Romans. And he said, is there anybody kind of wants to respond? You know, I didn't know what happened. I think I got transported from the back to my knees in the front. I can't remember walking there. I just remember being there. And then I kind of came to this, ooh, everyone can see my guns on my ankles through my jeans, and I'm pulling those down, and I'm pulling those down, and I'm doing this. And God met me. I was not looking for God, I was not interested in God. I'd gone to a Catholic school, and these things had happened to me, and that's what God is, I'm not interested. Forget about it. But God was interested in me. And not a nebulous God. Jesus. That man, Jesus, he was interested in me, and he, and he took me by the scruff of the neck, put, and they prayed for me. I don't know. Did anyone know Franz Barronos? Franz Barronos prayed for me. He was the guy up the front there, and I don't know what happened. Step back one, while I'm standing there, we've just arrived, a couple standing here and a single girl, never seen them in my life. I've never been to church in my life. I walk in, those two ended up discipling me. The girl that was standing next to them, I turned to my friend, you see that? And I'm dating another girl, by the way. See that girl there? I'm oh, gonna no, marry her. Two weeks time, we celebrate 39, next seven, 39 years married. God is good. When you let him take you by the scruff of the neck. I dropped out of university because I didn't have money to skydive. I blew a whole inheritance because I wanted to skydive. I'd do it all over again. But Jesus got a hold of me and my life, I mean my life changed. I got home that night, I had no idea what had happened. No idea whatsoever. Next morning I worked for NedBank in Morbeni. And I arrived there, and just before the banking hall opened, I climbed on my desk. And I asked for everyone's attention. I was always like the party guy, so they thought I'm announcing a party. My girlfriend's there, da da da. And I told everyone they're going to hell unless they repent. <laughs> I had no idea what I was talking about, but uh, that sounded good. They're going to While well, my girlfriend broke up with me, I never got invited to another party. It was the end, it was like, poof. So I thought, is this okay if I tell the story? So I thought, well, what what am I gonna do now? What am I gonna do after work? So I got on my bike and I went to the church. The building, I thought maybe there's someone there. And they were having worship service, worship practice. I thought, well, go to worship, I can play guitar. I didn't know I couldn't go to worship practice. I just went in. And they stopped worship practice. And they spent time with me, spoke to me, answered questions, cared for me, prayed for me, loved me. I thought, this is amazing. Next day, I went to work. Everyone, stay away from me. <clears throat> Next night, I thought, what am I going to do? do? You know what? I'm going to go to the church. I went to the church. Oh, no. So that, on that Monday night, the pastor was there. I said, can I meet with him? So I met with him on the Tuesday night. And I asked him, I don't know what happened. Can you explain this to me? And he told me about the love of Jesus. And he took me through the Roman road. And it was the day of concrete floor, days of chalkboards. And, he had, and I took a piece of chalk. And I drew a line behind my heels and I said, Carl, I'm never going back across that line ever. And I honestly can say to this, I've never been across that line. It's 42 years later, 43 years later. I've never been across that line because Jesus took hold of me when I wasn't looking for him. You see, now I could say, I didn't know, but actually I was looking for that my whole life. I just did not know it. But inside me knew it. The reason I lived life to the full was, if there's nothing, I'd rather die. I wasn't wanting to die. Does that make sense? I wasn't trying to die, but if it great, but God saw. So, you know, that, that was incredible. And It's like I never heard that before. Jesus loves me. And went to work the next day. Next night, what am I gonna do? So I'll go to church. There's the elders' meeting. I didn't know I couldn't go to the elders meeting. <laughs> I stopped the elders meeting. Spent time with me. Spoke to me. Prayed for me. Told me this is the next steps. I thought, this is amazing. These people are incredible. One elder, Dudley Hall, says to me, you know, in those days, you, the things you got to start doing, you know, you, no dancing, you know, whatever. you got to tithe, you got to do it. So you got to be baptized. I said, what's that? So next Sunday on the beach, got baptized. Said, you got a tithe. I said, what's that? Said, you got to give 10% of your salary. I worked in a bank, I had a briefcase. I took out my check and I wrote it. 43 years, I've missed one month. Not because it's legalism, but because Jesus saved me. It was easy, easy. So I thought, great, I'm going to work. Came back Thursday, what am I doing? You know what, I'm gonna go to church. I got to church. It was intercession meeting. I thought, man, I'm going to do intercession. Nah, I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not for me. Next night, I got invited to a barbecue. Creative people invited to a barbecue. Come here. We're having a barbecue. I found out two years later, they arranged that barbecue for me to include me. Is this All right. And there's lots more to the story. I'll leave it at that. Here's the thing. Jesus saved me, and so did the church. Because if it's just Jesus that saved me without his church, then just the head saved me. But the whole of Jesus saved me. That's him and his body. And the body showed me what that Jesus was like. They told me Jesus loved me, but the church loved me. They told me Jesus accepted me despite everything. The church showed me that he did. I needed both those. We all need both those. I found people that were glad to be with me. They smiled when they saw me. They hugged me when they saw me. They were delighted to be with me. I couldn't believe this. What's happened here? Here's what happens. When you know that you are loved, you can get secure. When you are secure, you establish a healthy identity of who you are. You establish who are your people. These became my people. And then I began to act like my people. They didn't have to teach me, you got to do this. I just watched. Because I was with my people and I'd, I want to do what they do. Some good, sometimes, some bad, but I did. Why, do you, why I grew really quickly as a Christian. real quick. Why? I just did what they were doing. Not because I was clever, I just did what they were doing. I felt known. It's an amazing thing to be known. I'm not talking about someone knows your name. I'm not talking about someone knows your passion. I'm talking about being known. And when they know everything about you, you still feel known and loved. That's an amazing thing. I believe that happens in this community. This church. I've watched this church for decades. They spoke about God as Father. I thought, what? I can't get that one I get Jesus figuring that one out figuring the spirit out I'm off this father thing I mean I don't have a father he was a not a nice person my grandfather's a tyrant the father's at the school the cat they were abusing so what the heck is a father don't want that but it kept coming up so I thought you know I'm just going to go read my Bible somewhere. It was one weekend. No one told me about retreats or quiet times or whatever. I just went away and I started reading. And our pastor, Carl, said, you've got to read the first letter of John every day for a month. So that's what I did. So I'm sitting, I'm reading. Come in my office, the verses up there. 1 John 3.1. You know that? How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, For that is what we are. We're talking about 1981, there were no computers. We didn't understand the word download. But God downloaded into my life. He was my dad, and that he loved me, settled, never struggled with it ever again. Just like a in 10 seconds. God was my father. Thought, oh my goodness. Here's a problem, though. There's a massive problem. Because the verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that was going around, if any person be in Christ, they're new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. You know that verse? Oh, yeah. You just deny the past now. Because God save me from it. So, me and Doug. I had 300 record, albums, records. Dug a hole. Poured gasoline, petrol in them. All the guns, all the knives, the bike, everything gone. Whew. All my school photos, cut them up. The old is gone. All the annual, you know, your, your yearbooks, shredded them, burned them. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. So good, eh? Until about six, seven years ago, I meet Pete Scazzaro. Anyone know Pete Scazzaro? He's a emotionally healthy spirituality? And he says, you can have Jesus in your heart, but you've got grandpa in your bones. I nearly punched him. Because he was right. Never dealt with things. That's that's for another story. First letter of John, chapter 4. It's my favorite book in the Bible. Dear friends, let us love one another. Verse 7. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Chris this morning said God is light. Light. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is the the verse. We know it. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Not that we loved first, but that God loved us us that's the baseline that's the baseline don't forget it the reason we can love is because God first loved us and that's what I got that first day God loved me wow it was amazing now I want to say can I say something about that love how much time have I got I can stop any time the word love in the Old Testament is the word hased. There's no way to translate it into English, actually. It's just too big, it's too vast. It always needs adjectives. But in our sort of language, if you it could be mean secure love attachment. Glued to you, love. When God says He loves us, He says He's glued to us. It's not going anywhere. And when you're struggling and you don't feel him, he is still there. He's not gone anywhere. Because he's glued to you. His name revealed in Exodus to Moses. Yahweh, I am, I am, means the ever-present, now, always with you, stuck to you like glue, covenant-keeping God. He's always with you. That's the baseline. And if you don't know Jesus yet tonight, God is still there. He just hasn't fully revealed himself yet, and Jesus loves to come and do that. Misha, let me tell you about my dad. And that's a whole sermon we weren't going to have said. But when I experienced God's love from Him, this download, and when I experienced God's love from His people, that became the foundation for me to know how to love in return. And the love in return, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You think, oh, that's such a bad word today. No one wants to be obedient. I don't want to be going to Catholic school. I don't want to be obedient. If you obey me, you love me. It's like, wow, I've got to be obedient. So if I want to demonstrate my love, I've got to be obedient. What, what am I being obedient to? At it is very baseline. I'm sorry, you in the crosshairs this evening, Chelsea. The very baseline of what it means to obey Jesus is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Start there. I can be obedient. You know why? Because the Father's Son was obedient unto death for me. He demonstrated obedience. And therefore I can be obedient. And, and he's asking me to love with everything that I am. It's hard, but that's what he's asking. I can do that. Why? Because I'm just not the person I was. I found wow, I found something. He found me. This, I mean the baseline is you have we have to be reminded that God loves us. And that that love that God has for us is demonstrated in His Son, Jesus. Christ crucified, that He came and died on our behalf. That's the ultimate expression of love. I can love if that's the foundation of it. I can go out of my way and love someone else because they went out of their way to love me. Did they know who I was, what I would become? No, but God knew. God knows each of you. He knows every hair on your head or the lack thereof. He knows everything. To say, Lord, me... If you're making notes, write this down. If you're not, it's on the tape. Jesus did not show me how bad I was. Jesus showed me how good and wonderful and loving he was. Can you come pick on me? You rubbish. You evil. You drinking smoke doping, womanizing, fast bike, driving, skydiving, shooting, knifing, whatever. He didn't say that to me. He didn't make me feel bad. He just showed me how good he was. And I realized, I, I'm bad. Not because he told me. Just in the light of that holiness, that beauty, that gloriousness, that love that is, wow. God's not had to make you feel bad. He's not here to shame you. He's not here just to expose all your sins when you're wrestling. He's here to show you how much he loves you and how, much he, how good he is and how wonderful he is. And then in the light of that, you want to say, God, take it all. It's not obeying a set of rules. You've got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do that. You got to do that. It's about responding to someone who's so good and so kind and so patient with us. I'm the good shepherd. That's what he said. I'm the good shepherd. I'm not the bad taskmaster. I'm the good shepherd. So why tell the story? Why did I tell the story of my life? Because do I want you to feel bad for me? Please don't. Because we have two timelines. We all have one at least. It's our chronological timeline. We can call it our Kronos timeline. And in my Kronos timeline, I am a victim of sexual abuse. Would you agree? I am a victim of sexual abuse. In my chronological timeline. If they write a history of my life at a certain time, and a certain year, there it is. But Jesus comes and creates a new timeline. It's called a Kairos timeline where he sets me free. And he delivers me from all sorts of things so that I can live free. Jesus came to set us free so that we could live free. So I am a victim. I promise you I do not live like a victim. I will refuse to live like a victim. Not because I've got good willpower. but Because Jesus said, I came to set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you are? Free indeed. I had an opportunity to speak to one of the leaders in our area of the Me Too movement. Anyone know what the Me Too movement is? I think the Me Too movement, I'm just saying, I think it's a good thing because it was able to give voice to women who have been abused by overbearing, controlling people. It's a good thing to be able to do that, to find camaraderie, to find healing. And I remember sitting with her, and I told her I was a victim of sexual abuse. She was like, oh, why would you even share that? Well, thank you. And I said, here's the problem. If in five years' time, you're all still living as victims and identifying as victims, you've missed the point. The point is that you found a place so that you could be healed. All right, please don't live like a victim. Jesus came to set you free. So in your chronological, you are a victim. In your kairos, you are not you are free. Now, God works in cycles. He'll bring you back to things, and you think you've dealt with it, and he'll bring you back and say, oh, there's another part. He doesn't just shove it all he did once again. No, we'll die if he exposed everything in one shot. He does it slowly. He's gentle. He's patient. You know, we're urgent. Life is urgent. God is not in a hurry. He just does it in his time, and you think you've got victory. It actually happened to me last year. I thought, I've got victory over this thing. And then I was at a retreat, and God said, Ask the question, and I realized, Oh, my word, there's another bit there. God says, Yeah, let's take it. Which timeline are you living in? Or do you just hop between the two? When you get with people who are in that place and you don't want them, you know, you don't want them to know you're a Christian, then you say, I ah, too am a victim, and you play that card. No, no, just tell them that you're free. Because they also want to get free. And you can guide them. We need guides. Who are the best guides? The ones who have been guided and to know how to do it. Um, see, a testimony, I think I've shared a little bit of testimony. A testimony must ultimately glorify Jesus. If you spend 10 minutes talking how bad you were and one minute talking about Jesus, that's not good. If you're going to talk 10 minutes about Jesus, then you've got to give me now another no, hour. No. We've got to talk about Jesus. Because what he has done, who he is, how he's loved me, how he's transforming me, how he's changing me. I want to talk about Jesus. I'm sharing that story tonight to give a context to something. If God can save me, he can save anybody. I'm a nobody God made me a somebody because he knew me I don't have to compare myself to that somebody or this somebody I just have to compare myself to him that's all because he made me a somebody he's my dad I don't worry about those people I used to Nick knows I've come to terms with who I am it's a wonderful thing it took a long time I wish I could have got this earlier So will you pay attention to what you pay attention to? Can I say that again? Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Become aware. Ah, oh, God, please break in there. See, this is a Katsugi story of God taking brokenness and making it beautiful. I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful those not, I hope it's beautiful and it's still working. It's not, it's, God transforms us over a lifetime. He brings us into his kingdom like that. He tells us he's a father like that. Jesus, I'm a co heir with Jesus like that. This is my family like that. You're my brothers and sisters like that. But the process of transformation is over a lifetime. And we take her, and God just keeps working. And you one day, wow. If you don't submit yourself to that, you see, if I'm a katsugi, if I'm this broken vessel, I want to make the broken pieces available so that God can rebuild it. He doesn't demand that you do that. Make yours available. Psalm 139. He, he knows you quote it before I was formed in my mother's womb. He knew me, he knows everything about me. Why does at the end it say, Search me, O oh God, know me? Why is that? Because God knows everything, but when we make put ourselves in the place to be made to know, then God says, Now I can work. He knows it already, but we step into the light. I know me. My morning prayer every morning, my solitude is I stay. Lord, here I am. Love me. I know he loves me, but I'm putting myself in the place that day to be loved. I'm Nearly finished. So participate with the Holy Spirit in this transformation. Transformation is us joining with the Holy Spirit in the process. Doesn't just happen. You're a baby, you're born to your parents, you had nothing to do with it. One day you will die, nothing to do with it. But in between, there's a lot that you have to do. Same in the spiritual life. There's lots that we participate with the Holy Spirit in this process of him making us into this glorious image that looks like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He wants us to look like Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever thought about that? He wants us to look like Jesus. Wow. Have we got that image? Can we put it up? I'll end with this. While they're putting that up, I had lots of adventures before I was a Christian. All the things I did, I did daring things. I loved it. But you know, the adventures post Jesus finding me are so much better. I've been to the nation. I've been to 30, 40 nations Preach the gospel, planted churches. I've run comrades with friends in the church. I've done ultra triathlons with this lunatic. I've done adventurous things, but now in a whole new way. Not because I'm trying to end it, but because it's such an adventure to be alive. Anyone know what that is? It's the seven sacred pools in Hawaii. It's beautiful. Can you see it? Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Here's the issue. We we get we want to be down here. We want to enjoy all of this. But if you don't take care of the source and where the where the first pool is, this will all dry up. Because this is all down river. And many of us are coming into this place where we feel our, our lives are dry. Like the transformative process has slowed down. I used to hear God and not so much. I used to feel his love, not so much. All those things. Don't try to sort it out at the bottom. Go back to the beginning. Are you looking after your soul? Are you playing the baseline? Are you being reminded that God is love and that before you can do anything, he loves you and bathe in that first pool so that the river can flow again? Father, we are so grateful that you didn't leave us to our own devices. So grateful. So grateful that you made a way. You didn't consult us, you just did it, knowing it was the very best. I'm going to send my son. You know, and he's gonna live this life, come in a baby. We sang that song, come in a baby. He's gonna have to have his nappies changed and he's gonna, ah, all that stuff messy. He's gonna grow up and then he's gonna, oh man, he's gonna be murdered in the most brutal way on a cross. So barbaric, it doesn't make any sense to us today. 2,000 years ago, why would God do that? Ah! You didn't consult us, you just did it because you knew your plan to demonstrate love and to defeat the one. He wants to prevent us from being loved. And tonight, this, in this space right now, Jesus, we invite you to remind us that you are love and that you love us unconditionally. That anything you ask of us is a response to you. You're inviting us back to play the baseline. You're back to the first pool to receive from the source that you love us, that you care for us. Thank you. And Father, I pray. I'm going to hand over to Nick in a moment. I pray, God, just for the. All of us here, there are people here today that can identify with my story in some way. Whether you were bullied, whether you're an only child, felt neglected and unloved, whether you're a victim of sexual abuse, or rape, whether you feel isolated, whether you've become so self-sufficient you can't let anybody in. Maybe you're a husband that is like I was and find it difficult to truly love your wife as she should be because you're holding back because of fear of what happens if I open myself up? Or wife, afraid to be loved by your husband. What happens if he abuses me? Whatever. You come into that by your spirit and you tell us that you are love and that you've loved us and we can cast and throw ourselves into the depths of that. Teach us to play the baseline again.